0: Good morning, Naperville Covenant Church. I am Minister Pierre Keys, youth and young adult pastor of Third Baptist Church of Chicago. I am super excited to be here this morning with you and to share God's word with you. Uh, I don't take this privilege lightly to stand at a sacred desk. I want to thank my friend Leslie Sanders for the invitation to deliver God's word. I hope these words find uh, you comfort and peace. Have your Bible. You please turn to me to a familiar passage, a very familiar story found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. That is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. 11. When you have it, type amen in the comments. Here's the word of the Lord. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. and When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were a set of six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim, And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was, that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee had manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let us pray. Consecrate me, now for thy service, O oh Lord, by the power of your grace divine, and let my soul look up with steadfast hope, and let my will get lost in thine. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John 2, verses 1 through 11. I want to tag this text in your hearing this morning. New things. New things from John chapter chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I love weddings. One of the most uh, famous weddings in recent memory was the wedding of Prince Harry and actress Meghan Markle that occurred May 19th. 2018 it uh, uh, occurred at the St. George Chapel. It was a pageantry of pomp and circumstance and uh, 29.2 million viewers tuned in to watch what would be one day, uh, the new queen and king of England. It was, it was a, a, a beautiful pageant of pomp and circumstance, and it gave us, us eclipse, a clip, a glimpse. Of what was to come because eventually they would assume the throne of king and queen of England. I, I love weddings, but my, my my favorite wedding of all time happens to be a, a, a fictional wedding that occurred in 1992 uh, on the season five of Different World. In that episode, uh, Whitney Gilbert, who's played by Jasmine Guy. Uh, set to marry her boyfriend, Byron. Byron comes from a family of prestige and power, and they are at the altar receiving their vows, and just as Whitley is getting ready to give her vows to her soon-to-be husband, her ex longtime girl boyfriend, who she still has love for, disrupts the wedding ceremony, walks down the aisle, He's restrained by the groomsmen, and as he's been carried off, he confesses his love to Whitney, and right there, they get married at another man's wedding. I I love weddings, but a far more significant wedding happened in a little town called Canaan, right in Galilee. It's a wedding of two unknown, faceless couples, but that would change the trajectory of history. The miracle that we see in John chapter 2 is the first of seven signs recorded in John's gospel. Now, these signs were not John's way of giving, giving us a chronological retelling of Jesus' miracles. It wasn't his way of showing us uh, what Jesus did in seven days, um, but it is Positioned this way because uh, John is getting us, uh, wants us to see something. Uh, he's, he wants to point us somewhere beyond Cana. And it's this one word that is found right in verse 11 that changes the trajectory of the text. It's real simple. Beginning. Beginning. You know what beginnings are. It is. It marks the end of one thing. And the start of something new. Uh, beginnings can either be um, uh, a great way to wait in anticipation for what's, what's to come. Or it could be the beginning of the most trial and tumultuous time of your life. It, it is right there in verse 11. Beginning. Beginning is a word often used by John. Uh, right there in John chapter one, we all know the verse. Uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 27. There's another beginning when the Pharisees questioned Jesus's authority. They say, who are you? Jesus says to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? And in John eight twenty-five, uh, Jesus says, um, what have I been saying to you in the beginning? I am who I've always said I you know, I, I come from the Father. And right there in John chapter 2, 11, it says, this was the beginning of his signs. Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him, the beginning. In order for us to really unpack that word, I have to show you something in the Greek that word beginning in the greek is arche everyone say arche arche is the greek word where we get our word archetype which means the original model of which all things of the same type are mere representations let me say that again arche is where we get our word archetype which means the original model of which all things of the same type are mere representations Or what Andre 3000 calls the prototype. It is the original. It is not a copy. John uses this word in its classical sense. But I believe that word, archaic, embodies the move of this passage and captures the trajectory of this text. John wants to point us beyond Cana. And John sets the stage at the wedding. But the wedding acts more like a signifier than just a rehashing of an event. Then John goes even further than that by employing greater significance to this miracle than any other miracle. When he says his glory was manifested nowhere in John or any of the other Gospels is the manifestation of God's glory employed uh, to any of his signs and miracles. They, they may say it was a hint of his glory. They may say it was a glimpse of his glory. But John doesn't buffer the outcome. He says that this is his glory. What just is John trying to tell us? What is this manifestation of the glory of Jesus Christ? You've heard this story before. We walk inside a party at Cana. We walk into a crisis in Cana. The couple runs out of wine. That should have lasted several days. Jesus saves the couple from the embarrassment and shame that was certain to follow if word got around that uh at this wedding in Cana they didn't have enough wine to fill our cups so mary brings the problem to jesus jesus gives a command to the servants they filled the large jugs with water and the water turns to wine that famous Fourth century theologian and philosopher, St. Augustine, says that the creator is always making water into wine. It's just that he does it in a slow, natural process. And Augustine says that Canaan, he sped up the process. Who am I to disagree with someone like St. Augustine? But I think he's wrong. There was no slow, natural process here. There was no fermenting of grapes, distilling and aging. There was no natural process, and neither was there a faster natural process of getting wine out of water. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because the ingredients for the wine are not there. Chemically, it's not there. So no natural process brings wine out of water. And this is why John gives this sign so much weight that he says that this one is the manifestation of the glory of Christ. This is why this event is the most miraculous event done by Jesus. If you just follow me, let me make my argument. The person that helped me see this is actually author uh, David Francis Strauss, who is an atheist by, by um, a chance, um, but he helped me with this argument. He wrote a book called The Life of Jesus, Critically Examined. And in this book, Strauss goes through all the deeds of Jesus and concludes that none of them happen. They're, they're all just myths. But the interesting thing about Strauss and why I keep him on my shelf is that I believe that Strauss helps those that believe that these things happen see what we typically typically don't see. And in his book, he paints a picture of what he calls the ladder of inconceivability, where he rates the miracles of Jesus from the least miraculous to the most miraculous. Or put more simpler, the most believable to the least believable. And at the bottom of that ladder of inconceivability are exorcisms. He says that uh, Jesus casting out a demon is nothing special. He is he is just Uh, exercising his authority like any ecumenical priest or figure would, Uh, uh, there's nothing to an exorcism. Then he moves up the ladder to healing of the leper where Jesus is just fixing or cleansing something that's already there. Above that is giving sight to the blind. The blind man already has eyes. Jesus just is working with what's already there. He moves further up the ladder to the healing of the deaf. Man already has ears to hear. He just can't hear. And Jesus restores his hearing. Jesus is just working with what's already there. This is Strauss's argument. Then he moves up uh, to the involuntary cures, like the hemorrhaging of the woman who touches him from behind and she is healed. Uh, uh, he is working with, uh, with, with what's already there. Uh, And he moves further up this ladder of inconceivability and deals with the raising of the dead, such as Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, who he says were just mere resuscitations. And above the raising of the dead, he puts the calming of the sea. Not much to see here. uh, He's just manipulating inanimate nature. Then above that, he places the multiplying of bread and fish. Uh, To the 5,000. Here, Jesus, he says, speeds up the process and makes more fish from one fish and several loaves from one loaf. He is working with what's already there. But at the very top of Strauss's ladder of inconceivability, uh, he puts the uh, wedding at Canaan where Jesus turns water into wine. And Strauss says that this is the most. Uh, unbelievable miracle performed by Jesus. Because unlike everything else, Jesus doesn't have at his disposal the very ingredients to make it work like it's supposed to work. It's it's simply not there. Uh Strauss calls this transubstantiation, uh, not in the Roman Catholic sense, but in the sense of changing the substance of something. That's this is not transformation which means changing the form of something. It's a very powerful thing, but this is in John 2, verse 8, Jesus used transubstantiation, making a substance something. It was not the ingredients, just weren't there. And Jesus does this at the arcade, at the beginning of his ministry. In the beginning, not just in sequence, but the source of everything that will come after it. it th- this sign would shape everything else Jesus does afterwards. As Leslie Newbigin says it this way, he says, the changing of water to wine would be a sign of the whole ministry of Jesus to the world. And John places this story, this arcade at the start of the min- this ministry, this prototype of what Jesus is all about. John wants us to read his gospel and look at the events of Jesus and ask this question. Is this like Cana? Back it up to verse four. Jesus says, my hour is yet to come. The implication is when the hour comes, something like Cana is going to happen. When that hour comes, we can emphatically say, this is like Cana. Would you please turn uh, yourself into a page-turner as we go through the book of John and ask ourselves, is this like Canaan? Uh, journey with me to John 4, Jesus heals a young boy on the brink of death. Uh, uh, He raises him from the dead. Is this like Canaan? Is this transubstantiation? No, transformation, not transubstantiation. John 5, and man is paralyzed for 38 long years. And Jesus simply says, get up and pick up your mat. Is this like Canaan, the man already has legs. He's working with what's already there. Not uh, uh, transubstantiation, but transformation. John 6, Jesus takes a happy meal and multiplies the meal and feeds 5,000 people. Is this like Canaan. No, the loaves are already there. The fish was already there. Transformation, not transubstantiation. You keep going and uh, you get to Lazarus in John 11. Certainly, this is like Canaan, isn't it? No, because Lazarus, even though he's been dead for four days, is brought back to life as he knew it before he died. And we can uh, speed it up some and and speed it up a little more until we get to John chapter 20, Easter morning, where we find Peter and John racing to an empty tomb. They get inside of the tomb and all they see is Jesus neatly folded linen and head wrapping, lying to the side, which deliberately counterpoints what happened with Lazarus, who comes out the tomb mummified and Jesus says, unwrap him. Jesus slips out of this linen. Is this like Canaan? Is this resurrection like Canaan? Is this new life like Canaan? Yes, this is not resuscitation like Strauss says. This is resurrection. The, The resurrection is not bringing Jesus back to life as he knew it on Good Friday. The resurrection is Jesus moving through the grave into another form of human existence that hasn't existed before it's like what existed before, but now it's different. It's, it's not transformation, it's transubstantiation. It's a new reality into which he moves and cannot die and a new reality that we will one day move into and not die as well. Here now is the event to which Canaan points. Jesus can make something new even when the ingredients of the new are not there. I know you'd rather hear a resurrection sermon on Easter, but Cana points us to the resurrection because every day of your life, we should live resurrected lives. Uh, he did it at creation when he looked into the nothingness of the world and just spoke a word and something out of nothing appeared. The ingredients was not there. Calls Abram, Abraham, father of many nations, while he is childless, childless and his wife is barren. He calls it what it ain't before it is. The ingredients were not there. He does it with Simon. His name is Simon, but Jesus calls him Cephas, rock. Jesus calls him what he ain't before he is. The ingredients were not there. When Jesus promised you, promises to make you into another kind of person, the ingredients for the new person need not there. Jesus does not need anything to work with but your availability and obedience because he's able to do a new thing. When you bring your problems to Christ, when Jesus, promises, when Jesus promises to do a new work in your ministry or your congregation or in your life, the ingredients need not be there. But before this to happen, we need to do one thing. We need to invite Jesus to the party and do what he says. Notice how irrelevant the command to the servant seems and notice their immediate response of obedience. When you invite Jesus to the party, new things happen. Invite Jesus to your feast or into your fasting and new things happen. Invite this Jesus into your despair and into your laughter and watch new things happen. You want something new happen in your life? Bring your emptiness, what's used up, your nothingness to Jesus and watch him create something new out of you. Bring your empty spirits, your broken marriage, your tired souls, all of your burdens and give it to Jesus and watch him do something new. No, let me fix that. Watch him do something else. God wants to do a new thing in your life. But first you need to uh, uh, bring everything to him, Jesus looks at these water-filled jars, I believe. Looks down at these water-filled jars and he sees his own reflection. And Jesus says that this time, I'll give them water, to, I'll give them wine to last them a few more days. But in the coming weeks, I'm going to give them wine that never runs out. You know what wine is. Wine is a gift from God. Uh, I know that we are Christians here, but let me just say, if you have a party without no wine, your party is probably uh, joyless. Wine brings joy and new life into the party. That's its symbolism throughout the Bible. Wine represents joy and new life. Uh, And Jesus says, I am the new life. I am the new way and make yourself available to me and, and do as I say and watch me do a new thing. One Friday. They thought they crushed that grape. They thought they had killed that grape. But what they put in the barrel too, wasn't killed. It was ferment. Fermenting all day Saturday. And on Sunday, new wine gave us new life. Amen. God bless you. Let Jesus be your new mind. Let him fill you with his joy. Let him restore your soul. But just do as he says, and watch him do a new thing in your life. May God bless you. Love you.